Coming up on Studios America, John Ziegler gives us the new evolved view on the recall of Gavin Newsom. Chris Cuomo should probably just shut up about his brother, Andrew, but, you know, he probably won't. And we coin a brand new, entirely appropriate nickname for the current president. Let's do Taliban Joe. Stu does America. <laughs> well, we all make mistakes, boys and girls. You know, sometimes things just go a little bit awry and you have to fix them up as much as you can. I will say I make mistakes, too. I'm a little embarrassed, honestly, about my previous comments on this program. I mean, going back to 2020 when the show started and honestly, back to the Obama years, I've been railing on and on and on about how I thought it might be a bad idea to negotiate with the Taliban. <laughs> Stupid opinion. And I thought, honestly, this whole thing with Joe Biden and Taliban Joe, the takeover of the country right under his leadership might be a bit problematic. But looking back now, <laughs> I know I was foolish. Imagine my extreme embarrassment when I saw the statement from the Taliban spokesmurderer who said if women, quote, continue to live according to Sharia, we will be happy and they will be happy. What more could you ask for? I mean, this is going to go swimmingly. I'm so glad we got a real comment from the spokesmurderer to let us know. Just just live under the collection of laws that don't allow you to go outside or show anything other than your eyeballs and everything is going to be fine. No big deal. Get in line, ladies. I know a lot of people who own travel agencies right now are saying to themselves, you know what? We got to start booking trips to Kabul for all the ladies. Ladies night in Kabul. How is this going to work out for Joe Biden? This has been a catastrophe. I mean, even you who sit at home every night and think to yourself, gosh, Joe Biden seems like a terrible president. Even you, even I, who think Joe Biden sucks, have to be flabbergasted by how terrible this is going right now. We're only a few months in to his first year. Biden has basically one way out of this right now. Somehow, the Taliban has to be good this time. What do you think? You think it's going to happen? Do you think the Taliban, you know, sure, they used to be murdering terrorists all the time. Maybe this time they'll be nice. That's essentially his only way out of this because he's let this happen at such a quick pace with no support to the Afghan military. Uh, and uh, this has been a catastrophe from the second it started. Now, you might say there's no way the Taliban is going to be good this time. And that's uh, a good instinct of yours. However, you have to remember the media is going to assist this narrative along in every way they can, like promoting uh, ridiculous uh, comments from the spokesmurderer that we hit a little bit earlier. All of these times, every time they don't kill someone, you're going to hear about it. So get ready for that. And you might say, well, are they really going to even attempt that? Think of how many times they've tried it already. Think of how many regimes have been rehabilitated by the U.S. media. So maybe they're not that bad. I mean, the PLO comes to mind right away, right? Here's a collection of terrorists who were known for terrorism, who have all sorts of terrible things in their founding charters, and we're not even allowed to look at them. They're just a, a group to negotiate with in Israel. Hezbollah, Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood. Do you remember that they're a mostly secular group? 
Do you remember how much attention that got? When you say that the Muslim Brotherhood is a, a group maybe to be feared because they're Islamic extremists, you're laughed at. You're some conservative conspiracy theorist. When you bring up the charter of Hamas, which talks about killing Jews and making sure there's none left on the planet, that's old time think. These groups get washed. They get laundered through the media and will start to turn around into positives. Uh, we'll see what happens here. I mean, if the Taliban is really audacious in their, in their murdering, uh, maybe they won't be able to pull it off. But honestly, they're going to do everything they can to make this Biden decision look as good as possible. And that's going to be a heavy, heavy lift. It's important to remember that none of this had to occur. None of it. I mean, every previous president also wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Biden's not new there. They just all realized that saying, I want out of Afghanistan is not a policy. That's just a tweet. It's not a policy. George W. Bush early on talked about leaving as soon as things were stable. But here's the thing. They weren't stable. So he didn't just bail on everybody. Barack Obama promised to leave. He ran on it. He got two terms running on leaving Afghanistan, but he didn't actually leave. Why? Because even he realized that it didn't make sense with the facts on the ground. You know who didn't understand that at the time? His ridiculous vice president, Joe Biden, Taliban Joe, who even today actually admits he was in favor of letting all these same things happen seven years ago when it was under discussion during the Obama administration. He wanted to pull out willy nilly back then. Donald Trump ran for president. He promised to leave. He promised. He ran on it. But when he was faced with the actual realities of the situation, he changed his mind. Let me give you an extended clip of Donald Trump talking about this, because I think it's important to put this in perspective. You know Donald Trump. He, he is not, he's not a, an old school Republican. He wasn't a guy who was in favor of all the wars. He doesn't like that stuff. He's always hated it. Uh, you know, a few comments here and there from back in the day. Uh, he would occasionally express some favorability for uh, uh, for Iraq or Afghanistan. But, you know, generally speaking, his comments over a very long period of time in public life have indicated he's no interventionist. He doesn't want to be involved in foreign conflicts. He ran on, in a Republican primary, by the way, ran on getting out of these wars. And he was kind of in the same situation as Joe Biden. He was new to office. He was dealing with an existing and outstanding campaign promise. He was ideologically committed to leaving. But I want you to listen to a couple minutes of, of Donald Trump talking about the realities of what was going on in Afghanistan and what he was going to do. Watch. My original instinct was to pull out. And historically, I like following my instincts. But all my life, I've heard that decisions are much different when you sit behind the desk in the Oval Office. In other words, when you're president of the United States. So I studied Afghanistan in great detail and from every conceivable angle. After many meetings over many months, we held our final meeting last Friday at Camp David with my cabinet and generals to complete our strategy. I arrived at three fundamental conclusions about America's core interests 
in Afghanistan. First, our nation must seek an honorable and enduring outcome worthy of the tremendous sacrifices that have been made, especially the sacrifices of lives. The men and women who serve our nation in combat deserve a plan for victory. They deserve the tools they need and the trust they have earned to fight and to win. Second, the consequences of a rapid exit are both predictable and unacceptable. 9-11, the worst terrorist attack in our history, was planned and directed from Afghanistan because that country was ruled by a government that gave comfort and shelter to terrorists. A hasty withdrawal would create a vacuum that terrorists, including ISIS and Al-Qaeda, would instantly fill, just as happened before September 11th. And as we know, in 2011, America hastily and mistakenly withdrew from Iraq. As a result, our hard-won gains slipped back into the hands of terrorist enemies. Our soldiers watched as cities they had fought for and bled to liberate, and one were occupied by a terrorist group called ISIS. The vacuum we created by leaving too soon gave safe haven for ISIS to spread, to grow, recruit, and launch attacks. We cannot repeat in Afghanistan the mistake our leaders made in Iraq. As if he's given this speech today to, to warn us about what's going on. And did you notice the date? I think it was August 21st, 2017. Almost the exact same time in the first year. But he did the opposite. He did the opposite here. Just to go over some of that. He wanted an honorable, enduring outcome for the people who fought for us. Is that too much to ask? Is it Joe? He, he wanted to make sure the consequences of a rapid ex, uh, exit, which he found unacceptable, did not occur. How about that, Joe? He cre correctly predicted that an exit like that would create a vacuum that would be filled by terrorists. And he cited correctly the 2011 adventure in Iraq when we pulled out and created an international caliphate that all, you know, that swallowed up the almost the entire 2016 election cycle. People forget that Donald Trump did come in and uh, and change our policy quite a bit to get rid of uh, ISIS. But you're telling me they're not going to come back now in some form or another. We know that we uh, let out thousands of the prisoners that we captured that were part of ISIS and Al Qaeda. They're gone. They're out. They're going to be fighting with the Taliban now. All of these things were clear clear warnings and instead of sticking with his ideology the thing that he really believed the thing that he really wanted done the thing that he promised in a campaign to do donald trump looked at the evidence and said you know what i want out but i'm going to allow the evidence in front of me to convince me otherwise that's what you do when you're a president it's different than the fantasy league presidency that joe biden has been living out in his brain since 1972. this is real time Real things happen here when you make terrible decisions.
That's not to say that Biden didn't have really important foreign policy goals when he became the real president instead of fantasy league president. Here he is just a couple of weeks into his term back in February. Taking steps to acknowledge and address systemic racism and the scourge of white supremacy in our own country. Oh. Racial equity will not just be an issue for one department in our administration. It has to be the business of the whole of government and all our federal policies and institutions. All this matters to foreign policy, because when we host the Summit of Democracies early in my administration, to rally the nations of the world to defend democracy globally, to push back the authoritarianism's advance, we'll be a much more credible partner because of these efforts to shore up our own foundations. See, he wants to defend democracy. He just wants to do it by saying that we're white supremacists. I don't understand why we didn't try that one earlier. It seems like a great idea. You see, that's why the Taliban is being so helpful with their promise of non-rape of women this time around. Because we acknowledged our white supremacy and our systemic racism. Yay, Taliban Joe. The Biden defense on this catastrophe flails around to a few different items. Let's go through them. Number one, he had to follow the Trump deal that was made in 2020. Look, Joe Biden didn't have to follow that deal. We were critical of that deal at the time it was made. It was, and I just defended Donald Trump, and just told you what a good job he did at the beginning of his administration. But that was a terrible deal. It was a deal in which they refer to the uh, Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban, uh, as the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Their chosen title. The Taliban's chosen title. Remember, he was negotiating directly with the Taliban and not including the Afghan government. They negotiated this surrender seemingly a long time ago. It didn't mean it had to turn out like this, of course, but it was a bad deal. There's no reason Joe Biden needed to keep it. He didn't keep any part of the Trump administration from the day he walked in. He got rid of every single thing that the Trump administration had uh, that had done that he could get rid of. He can't reverse the tax increases. That's legi- uh, tax decrease. That's legislation. But other than that, he's tried to basically outdo everything. And he's about to probably get rid of a lot of those tax those tax increases. Now, he also said he couldn't keep the status quo. And this is a big liberal talking point right now. He absolutely could keep the status quo. It might not be exactly the way it was right now. But the idea of having a small force in, the, in Afghanistan that could guard not even the Afghani troops, but give some air support and, I don't know, protect the stuff that we built there, our stuff, our equipment, our people... Of course we could do that. This all comes back to this idea that we can't keep the status quo because we've been there for so long. He even said it himself. Uh, Joe Biden, during the speech, said, hey, look, we can't. How many how many generations of people am I going to send to how many rows of headstones am I going to put in Arlington National Cemetery? This is a, a terribly cynical tactic to the point where, you know, we're talking about a guy who is using Uh, troops who have passed away and sacrificed for this country to make this point when he knows what the situation was. We have troops in many places around the world that may very well bother you. I understand that. It may bothers me at times. Certain, uh, you know, do we need to be in Germany? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, 
look, South Korea, I can get on board with that one. I think there's an important reason to be there. Germany, eh, maybe not so much, but whatever. The, the bottom line is we have people all around the world and we don't consider them active wars. Yes, we have a situation where there's still fighting going on in Afghanistan, but it isn't our role to decide uh, you know, what's going on in a civil war. I understand that. But when you look at what's going on here, I'm going to give this to you. And I did a uh, show months ago. So just so you know, this is not some new thing I'm coming up with after Joe Biden uh, turned this uh, bad idea into a catastrophe. Go back and watch. It was a show called Stu Does Forever War. I want to give you this. 2020, there were 11 fatalities in Afghanistan. We all know this is precisely 11 too many. We want it to be zero. Okay. But let me break down exactly what this means. When you think of an active war, you don't think of 11 people dying over the course of a year. You think of something, you think of thousands of people dying. In Normandy, we lost 11 troops every six and a half minutes. Not over a year, every six and a half minutes. And when you say 11 troops, we know that's 11 too many, but how did they actually die? Two died in IED attacks. I mean, kind of the traditional way you would think of uh, in a terrible war like this. We've seen way too many of these and every single one, no matter how this happens, obviously is tragic. And you know how I feel about the troops. Two of the 11 died in uh, uh, green on blue uh, uh, attacks, which are, you know, the, when people were training, turn their guns on us. We know how bad that is. Then you have two uh, of the 11 dying in a airplane crash. Now, look, an airplane crash can happen anywhere where we're training. Two of the 11 died in non-hostile vehicle crashes. And then the other three died in uncategorized non-hostile situations. So basically, we're talking about four combat-related uh, deaths in an entire year. Again, precisely four too many. But not an active war situation the way that we would normally think of it. We don't need to be out there going door to door and trying to unearth the Taliban every, everywhere we go. We, keeping a small presence there and being able to react to things on the ground would be a good idea. It would help us with intelligence and everything else. As long as we were not putting our troops in active danger all the time, that's something that I think the American people are totally fine with. We do it all over the world. It doesn't mean that it's always the right thing to do. But it's different than being in an active war and calling it the longest war just to make people feel bad and want to abandon uh, all of the gains that our troops fought for earlier. Biden also said he couldn't help the people who helped us. He just couldn't do it. You know, they wanted to stay themselves and we couldn't get them out earlier. This is a terrible example of just abandoning his responsibility. These people fought with us. I've met the soldiers who were there fighting and, and praise the Afghan fighters and translators and people who helped us over there. And now they're all at risk of being murdered and we've just abandoned them. We can't even get our own people out of there. This is a terrible failure of planning. There was no reason it had to be like this. And he tries to say that this is, is, is about Afghanistan. This is about, and he tries to make this all about the, you know, we can't nation build. Look, nation building is only there and it's, it's obviously doesn't it doesn't always work. It's you know, it's helped work in Japan, worked in Germany. It's, it's not like it's never worked, but it is a, a, an idea that's difficult in certain circumstances and certain certain cultures. But we didn't do it to help the Afghans. We did it to protect ourselves. This is about us. Are we creating a giant country where people are able to freely develop terrorist tactics uh, and terrorist plans and come hit us? 
we're going to find out because that's what we've left. We've left an area ruled by terrorists using our equipment potentially against us. Look, I'm a, I'm a conservative. You know that I've been complaining about government screwing up my entire life. But I mean this when I say it. I have never seen anything like this. This is a catastrophic failure that blows away my own jaded expectations about how terrible a president can be. I mean, go with me here for just a second. If Taliban Joe and his actual goal was a takeover by the Taliban of Afghanistan, what if he wanted as much harm and destruction to innocent women and children as possible? What if that was his desire? What if he wanted to screw over all of the people in the country that helped us? And he wanted to completely destroy our international reputation as an ally and as a superpower. If it was his literal goal to destroy all of those things, what about his actions would he change? Well, if you want a good snack, maybe you're a little stressed out because the world seems to be constantly melting down. And you want to have something delicious, but you don't want to pack on the pounds. You need Built Bar. Built Bar has an origin story here at The Blaze. Let me tell you what it is. Back in the day, long time ago, my wife, uh, one Lisa Page, uh, you know, she went on her Instagram page all the time and started ranting and raving about Built Bars. I didn't even know what they were. It's like, oh, you got to have the, the, the chocolate and coconut one and the mint brownie and the salted caramel and the cookies and cream. And you got to have this. I never even heard of Built Bars. And then apparently at some point, Lisa Page, my, my wife, tells Tanya Beck, Glenn's wife, about them. And then she starts eating them. And she tries to convince Glenn to start eating them. Now, there's a little bit of a hint involved in there. Hey, Glenn, can you eat freaking a Bilt Bar instead of, I don't know, another 12 gallons of ice cream? Well, because these are healthy and they taste really good. Well, eventually, Glenn, in a moment of desperation after he'd eaten all the pizza in the house, uh, decided to eat one of these Bilt Bars and he fell in love with them too. Now everybody here eats them. Built Bar is the way to go. 18 grams of protein, 180 calories or less, like four to five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs. You wouldn't know that they're healthy by tasting them because they're basically a candy bar. You can get that sweet tooth taken care of and still be healthy. Built.com is the place to go. Built.com to get a Built Bar, get a bunch of Built Bars, get boxes of Built Bars. If you use the promo code STU15, you're going to save 15% off your first order. Use the promo code STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. It's Built.com, promo code STU15. Happy to welcome back to the program John Ziegler, senior columnist for Mediate and author of the new piece, The COVID Resurgence Has Made Gavin Newsom Suddenly Vulnerable to Being Recalled. I'll send out a uh, tweet linking to it for sure. John, how's it going? Always good to talk to you, Stu. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I, I'm, I'm interested in this because you've had a, a bit of a change of heart here, right? I mean, it, this started out as it looked like Gavin Newsom was going to kind of cruise to a, a victory here and avoid the recall. But COVID might be changing things a little bit. Well, part of the reason I wrote the column uh, was I am having a bit of a change of heart. And part of it is because last time I was on Glenn Beck's show with you, uh, Glenn asked me and I, I said that I didn't think that uh, the recall was going to win. And uh, I don't think that that's necessarily my position today. To be clear, I I'm not betting 
that Gavin Newsom is going to lose, that would be just too good. The world doesn't seem to work that way, at least not anymore. And as you know, I'm I'm not exactly known as an optimist. So for me to show any kind of optimism at all is a bit outside of my brand or character. But I do think there's a chance. And it's more than a Hail Mary. Uh, now, there's a new poll out today, of, or I guess within the last 24 hours, from CBS that has him winning among likely voters by four points which is better than the previous poll, which actually had the recall somehow winning by 11, which I did not buy because that poll indicated that 54% of Hispanics in California were in favor of the recall. And that just is, seems impossible uh, to me. But I actually think there's some problems with this CBS poll that are in Newsom's favor. For instance, I think you'll be able to see where I'm coming from on this. This same poll, the same pool of, of the sample uh, has two thirds in favor of vaccine mandates for employees and has his approval rating at 57%, yet he's only winning the recall by four. <laughs> that, that, that seems to be a problem. If I'm in Newsom's camp, I'm at least a little bit worried. Yeah, that's gonna make me a little nervous if that sort of crowd is actually make, giving this a close call. Uh, you know, that might not be exactly representative of the entire state. Uh, how is the media handling this, though? I know that, like, the California media can be very powerful. They don't. You would, you would think they'd be protecting Gavin Newsom at all costs here. Well, a large part of the column that I wrote for Mediate is about how I predict the media will handle this situation. Stu, one of the more frustrating elements of this circumstance to me, someone who loathes Gavin Newsom, my young children call him Governor Poosom, um, largely because of, of the COVID restrictions that have greatly destroyed their lives over the last 18 months for, in my opinion, no reason for young, healthy children. But uh, I, I really do believe that this was a winnable situation. It still is a winnable situation, but if we had a remotely fair news media in California, Newsom might be toast. For instance, if starting in the next couple of weeks as school begins again, there was a focus on how absurd it is that public school children are being forced to wear masks in class and how anti-science and how in keeping basically in what I believe to be child abuse that is, if that was a focus of the news media, I think Newsom would be done because I, I think that this is a situation where people were educated on how absurd that is. It would flip a lot of, especially uh, stay-at-home moms that are generally swing voters. And so unfortunately, we don't have that in this state. The California media has been more in the tank for Newsom and the COVID restrictions than even the national news media has. Uh, it, it's, it's been pathetic. And um, if you know, it's just very, very frustrating that this race is as close as it is. If there was a legitimate California Republican par par uh, Party, if there was a, a legitimately fair California news media, or if, even if there was a sugar daddy somewhere outside of California even to pump some money into the anti-recall effort, I really do believe that Newsom could be defeated. Unfortunately, I, I, I think, well, it's a chance he could lose. The most likely scenario is he does squeak by by just a few points. And let's just be clear, Stu, that is going to have devastating impact, not just here in California, but around the country. I, I believe that if Newsom were to lose this recall, the pandemic, quote unquote, would be over. 
at least as far as the liberals instituting these draconian measures ever again, because it will be very clear, I mean, even just symbolically, with Andrew Cuomo, even though it wasn't directly related to COVID, and uh, Kevin Newsom both being gone after being a heroes a year ago, I think the symbolism of that would be incredibly powerful. And unfortunately, I, I still don't think that's the most likely scenario. Mm, that would be actually really, really powerful. I mean, those two guys were the faces of this on one coast and the other. Um, for, so I'm, I don't live in California. I live in Texas. My perception. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the few good decisions I've made in my life, John. Um, one of the things that from an outsider perspective, looking at California, I have sort of this idea that when uh, the cases were going down and we were on the good side of the covid uh, situation here over a few months ago, Newsom, knowing this uh, recall was coming, was quicker than I would have expected him to be to lift some of these restrictions and maybe slower now to put on statewide restrictions uh, as we've gone uh, hit a, a, another rough patch with Delta. Is that accurate? Is he putting on a lot of um, uh, state uh, restrictions? And is this sort of a self-preservation effort? I agree, Stu, that the recall has had a major influence on Newsom. The, the pre-recall Newsom, uh, would absolutely have reinstituted shutdowns in the so-called Delta variant surge of cases, although not really deaths yet, uh, in California that we have seen. Uh, he clearly uh, did not want to do that because uh, of the recall election coming up. But I think, and that was the title of, of my column, this in a weird way has harmed him with several groups. One, I think his base is a bit miffed as to, okay, well, where, why aren't we having a, a statewide uh, mask mandate? You know, why aren't we uh, shutting down sporting events? Or why are we having schools? I mean, I'm not believing in any of this, but I'm talking about his base. Mm -hmm. Uh, who are you know loving the the COVID restrictions? I think some of them are a bit disillusioned. Meanwhile, uh, a lot of people who are in my camp are more energized than ever because you know the idea that we are past this is gone now. I mean, the, you know, a couple of months ago when I originally predicted that Newsom would would uh, pass the the recall test and the recall would fail, it, it didn't look like there was any chance we would be shut down again. But now we're almost at a point where the recall is going to decide uh, whether or not we continue to have uh, COVID restrictions in California. And I even think, uh, maybe this is hopeful thinking my part, I think there's some people on the fence who might be turning away from Newsom a bit because those that have not been sure as to whether or not our restrictions worked at all are looking around going, wait a minute, well, we've done all this for 18 months. We've got uh, over 70% of the state vaccinated and we're still seeing a spike. You told us this wasn't going to happen. Well, California hasn't done any better than average. So what's the deal? So I do think that there's some interesting dynamics going on that are kind of counterintuitive with regard to COVID and how it may impact uh, Newsom's ability to thwart this recall effort. Uh, so help me walk through the actual mechanics of how this works for a second, John. There's basically two questions on this ballot. You can say, I want to keep Gavin Newsom or not. That's question number one. If you are to say, I want to keep Gavin Newsom, do you still get to cast a vote for the second question, which is the slew of other uh, replacement candidates that if he is recalled, he'd be replaced with? Yes. And it, it's, it's important that you point out the, the process because the process 
is going to play a big role here. Obviously, most people of our age remember in 2003, Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor of California because of this recall process. Now, in that situation, the news media was basically an arm of the Arnold Schwarzenegger campaign, not because they loved him politically, but because it was such a great story. Yeah. It was so exciting and it was so good for ratings. And they had no investment in Gray Davis, who was the Democratic governor at that time. That's not the situation here. The media is very invested in Gavin Newsom, largely because they've been holding his water for him on the, on the COVID restrictions and because he's a liberal Democrat and because there's no Arnold Schwarzenegger who's running. Right now, The if the recall were to pass, Larry Elder, who I know you're very familiar with, you've had him on as a guest many times. He's a conservative talk show host. I know him here uh, in Southern California. Uh, he happens to be the leading candidate. Now, what's really interesting, there's two things interesting about that. One, it's very obvious the news media is going to focus all their attention in the last month in destroying Larry Elder. Mm -hmm. uh, and Newsom has already signaled that that's uh, the way to go. And it's, frankly, it'll be pretty easy because as a talk show host, as you well know, when you've been a talk show host this long, you say some things, especially in a state like California, is going to offend some people. Sure. So it shouldn't be that difficult to take down uh, Larry Elder's ratings, but he could still end up being the choice of there's a you know many many uh, other candidates in that field so it's a very split vote he's only going to need probably 25 at tops 30 percent of the vote if the recall were to pass to become the next governor interestingly there's a democratic youtuber who i've never heard of i don't think anyone's ever heard of before who um in the last two polls is actually neck and neck with Larry Elder, and if the news media wanted to, if they gave this guy who's appealing to young voters a lot of traction and oxygen and gave young voters a reason to vote to recall Newsom so they get one of their own in there, I really think Newsom would be in big trouble, but the news media is smart enough not to do that because they understand what a combustible situation this is for Newsom. Uh, this is just a fascinating thing. I mean, so do we know anything about this YouTuber's uh, policies? Like, what kind of Democrat is he? I know nothing except he's a YouTuber, he's fairly young, he's a white male, and he's a real estate broker, which at least means he must be a capitalist, right? So <laughs> he can't be a socialist if he's a real estate broker, especially in this day and age. So I, that's about all I know. Um, and it's 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 unbelievable. I don't know how he got 27% in, in the vote, in the, in the poll that I that was showing the recall, uh, winning by 11 points, which I didn't believe. He's down to 13 points in the CBS poll. But if you combine the last two polls, Polls, he's you know definitely in, in a solid second place behind Larry Elder. And again, you know how these things work. If they catch fire, you give oxygen to somebody. Look out, especially with young voters with social media in this day and age. But I, I just really think the news media is going to be very perplexed as to what to do. That normally they would go for that, but I think they're smart enough to realize that that would mean doom for Newsom. Yeah, that's really a fascinating part of this. I, that, that, that this is the, what's happening. And the only reason it's happening, John, is because the Democrats made the choice, seemingly, to not put any legitimate candidates in the recall. I mean, I remember when Schwarzenegger was running, I mean, it was uh, Bustamante, if I remember right, who was like, yes. you know, again, not a top tier Democrat, but at least someone who had some experience that people kind of were relatively aware of. They decided to just protect Newsom at all costs here. And that could be a massive mistake. Mistake. As usual, Stu, you've put your finger on a really important point, and, and that is that they made the decision that if they ran a legitimate Democrat, it would be a sign of weakness for Newsom. 
And they could not handle that. His ego couldn't handle that, in my opinion. And and I think it was clearly a mistake, um, although it's an understandable mistake, because if you think about it, let's say a top Democrat had decided to do this, he couldn't do it with Newsom's blessing, right? So so he's going up against the Democratic governor. And, and, and if, so no, it's almost a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And, and, and this could, could have been, again, if we had a fair media in this state, the worst of all scenarios for Newsom, because you, you have someone who's not considered to be a legitimate candidate, but someone that young people seem to be gravitating to. And if just enough of them have a motivation to vote for the recall, you now set up a situation where someone could be governor like a Larry Elder with as low as 25 percent of the vote, uh, which it would be just unbelievable. And we're living in unbelievable times. But even I would, I think that that scenario is a bit, bit beyond the pale. Uh, but who knows? You know, anything can happen after what we've seen over the last 18 months. Yeah, I will say this: California keeps it interesting. It's always something to talk about. <laughs> uh, John Ziegler, senior columnist for Mediate, author of the new piece: uh, "The COVID Resurgence Has Made Gavin Newsom Suddenly Vulnerable to Being Recalled." Head to uh, my Twitter account or John's Twitter account. Make sure to check out uh, the, the uh, column; it's a great one. John, thanks so much for coming on, man. Anytime, Stu. As for me, I've told you, it's never easy being in this business and coming from a political family, especially now. That's the whole reason the situation the is unlike anything I could have imagined. Yeah. And tough. yet I know what matters at work and at home. Mm. Everyone knows you support your family. I know and appreciate that you get that. Oh, thanks for but you should also I, know I, I never covered my brother's troubles because I obviously have a conflict. Really? And there are rules at CNN you about that. You talked air multiple times. I said last year mm. that his appearances on this show would be short-lived. Yeah. And they were. <laughs> and they were. The last was over a year ago, yep. long Soon before as any things started of going badly. So I never reported on the scandal. Mm -hmm. No, you didn't. And when it happened, I tried to be there for my brother. Mm-hmm. I'm not an advisor. You, you wrote a, I'm a brother. speech for him. I wasn't in control of anything. I was there to listen and offer my take. Yep. And my advice to my brother was simple and consistent. Own what you did. Tell people what you'll do to be better. Be contrite. And finally, accept that it doesn't matter what you intended. What matters is how your actions and words were perceived. That's still dumb. That's a dumb And yes, thing. while it was something I never imagined ever having to do, I did urge my brother to resign when the time came. Yep, that's his uh, little uh, way to protect himself. The family has decided to come up with that little gem to leak to the press over and over again. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was telling him to resign. I'm the good guy here. Of course, he wrote a speech uh, defending uh, his brother and having his brother go after uh, these women. He denied that in his, his commentary here, but it's in the report. Really clear as day. Uh, you know, I will say, too, just... Look, it does matter what your intent was. Can we can we be realistic here for a second? I'm not defending Andrew Cuomo of anything that he did, but it is really important what your intent is. It's not just how people take it. What if they take it wrong? What if it is their fault? Sometimes it is. Sometimes people say things to me and I get pissed off about it. And then five minutes later realize that, oh, I, I they meant something completely different. That's not their fault. That's my fault. That is, uh, that's just the way, human, you can't manage how other people take your comments. You'll never speak. So, I mean, yes, intent is really important. The problem is, uh, his intent was not good.
that's the problem. Uh, we, there's another, uh, maybe we'll get into this a little bit tomorrow. <laughs> Great uh, column. Did Cuomo really design, uh, resign? Because we don't have a letter and he keeps doing things. Uh, you know, he's, 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 uh, he keeps passing like executive orders. No one seems to have seen a letter. It's only eight days away. Where is the letter saying that he's resigning? Is anyone getting nervous yet? I'm a little nervous, just a little bit. Uh, before we leave, too, uh, Greg Abbott, uh, bef- uh, as we were going to tape here, uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, pretty big flare-up in Texas right now. Uh, so, uh, luckily, the governor is uh, uh, asymptomatic at this point and uh, is just isolating in, in his place. He's vaccinated, doing well. Uh, but this will, of course, give fodder to people like Chris Cuomo, who will act uh, as if uh, he's following the science a little bit later on on tonight's program and will not be acknowledging anymore his brother and how awful he is. Back in a second. Do you have a to-do list? I have a to-do list and it's very long. The pages and pages and pages of things that I don't ever get to. And like somewhere buried on like page 18 is, shouldn't you update your will? Who wants to think about that stuff? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. Uh, And every once in a while it crosses your mind. Maybe I should have my trust or my will all set up. At trustandwill.com, they can help you with this. Uh, Setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as 39 bucks, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, plan all future medical care, all from the comfort of your home. They make it very easy. You can go get an attorney and spend tons of money. You can get some sort of like template and try it that way, but that doesn't always hold up. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state that you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, trustandwill.com and their team are available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan. Trustandwill.com is the most trusted name on, on st- uh, online estate planning. Uh, we, you know, they're the, the category leader and trust pilot. They've got all the, 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 the things you need to know. They've, they're very highly rated and you can get this done easily. That's the biggest thing. Knock it off your to-do list. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash stew. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait, do it now. 10% off right now, plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash stew. Trustandwill.com slash stew. Stewdoesamerica.com is where you can go to get all the links to all the show stuff that you possibly could need. Uh, you can always watch the show on YouTube as well, and you can comment live during the show. We talked about Afghanistan. Robert had this comment. Looks like Biden is giving Kabul the Portland, Oregon treatment. Ah, yes, the autonomous zone of Talibania is coming soon to a theater near you. Uh, You can also review the show on podcast. If you happen to be listening on podcast, every episode is free for you. I give to you. However, I do ask five stars. It's the appropriate number of stars. Uh, Five freaking stars. The only reason I give this stupid show five freaking stars is to make other shows hurt the way I do. And that's something that people don't talk about enough because helping this show with a five star review, quick comment, it's great, whatever, helps us, yes, but more importantly, it hurts others. Other podcasts are internally disturbed every time you give our podcast five stars. And that's the most important thing. Don't just help us hurt others. That is America. Back in a second. Okay, so here's what happened. 
Ed Sheeran, the singer, he's doing an interview, and he says he's a very strange musical background. He was, he's really into Eminem when he was young, and uh, he then started talking about a band he liked uh, called Cradle of Filth, <laughs> obviously. So Ed Sheeran, this kind of red-haired pop guy, is talking about Cradle of Filth, which is like a death metal band. And I guess somehow they get wind of it, and now they're going to do a collaboration. <laughs> Ed Sheeran and the guy from Cradle of Filth, I mean, they just look like they should be doing a duet of some sort. And I know Don McLean said the day the music died was when Buddy Holly and everybody went down in that terrible plane crash so many years ago. But I think we need to update that to the day the singer of Shape of You collaborates with the singer of Lust Mord and Wargasm, The Lick of Carnivious Winds. So just keep an eye out for that track. It's coming your way, hopefully never. <laughs>